listening to a tjslideways.com podcast. Here is your host, TJ Buffenbarger. Thank you, Beth. Coming to you from the Engine Pro Studios located in Door, Michigan. Before we really get started with this edition of the podcast, I'd like to send all of our best wishes out to the Hodnett family and friends, and particularly the uh, Central PA and uh, Mid-South Sprint Car fan bases on the loss of Greg Hodnett. And Obviously, with this being kind of a Williams Grove National Open uh, focused podcast, Greg is a topic that does come up quite a bit. And uh, uh, I really wish we were discussing how he's one of the favorites to win this week. And uh, instead, we uh, we touch on our memories of Greg a little bit with our guests. And, and you know, it's always rough when it's someone, it is someone in our sport, but it stings in a particular manner when it's someone that has fans all over the world and that's where they competed in and uh, i'd be really hard pressed to them uh, meet a classier guy to work with than greg always great with the fans and wonderful driver and great with even us in the media he would always uh it's always pleasant to work with and uh it's a great loss so our condolences with hodnett uh, the hodnett family and friends in there so on this edition though of the podcast we're going to bring in neil wilt from dirt track digest and area auto racing news to kind of help preview the national open and also we're going to talk about a really neat award they have going on that's going to go to the first driver that doesn't make the transfer out of the b main in saturday's finale and then we're going to wrap up this edition talking to brock zierfoss who has really branched out we've seen a lot of brock over the past couple of years starting to get out of central pennsylvania a little bit down the road and he's been impressive everywhere we've seen him so neil Wilt and brock zierfoss on this edition uh before we get started, though, please don't forget, support our sponsors, All-Star Performance Engine Pro, Maxim Chassis. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor on the website, you get the podcast, the website, the whole bit. You can contact me via the contact page on the website. So without further ado, let's preview the Williams Grove National Open with Neil Wilt. Neil Wilt. Dirt Track Digest, Area Auto Racing News. We always have a chance to sit around the table and talk about stuff at Knoxville, and uh, I decided this would be a good time for us to do that away from Iowa because uh, of the Williams Grove National Open coming up this weekend. Yeah, yeah, the National Open is, is you know, it, it is the East Coast uh, version of the Knoxville Nationals. It's a race that's uh, near and dear to my heart because it's, it's probably one of the races I go to as, as a as a fan, as much as a, as a member of the media, because we uh, we tend to camp and we have a good time doing all that, and that's what that's part of the uh, national open experience is that uh, the whole ambiance at the Grove with a full of campers and people from all over the country, and uh, it's that just that experience. And we'll get to the camping and the bonuses and everything here a little bit later, but uh, that does lead me into the first question, though, is, you know, we talk about the big three races like Knoxville, Eldora, and the Grove Open. How does the Grove Open, do you think, differ a little bit, or what's the experience like that's different than Knoxville and Eldora? This isn't this isn't going to be a, a dig on the Grove, but it, it it's more of just, it's just a regular outlaw show, it seems, at times. It pays more money, and it's got some prestige, and that's, and, and I'm, listen, I'm the biggest homo when it comes to things that happen at Williams Grove, but Knoxville's Knoxville, and the King's Royal's the King's Royal. Uh, but the Open, you get you get a couple different cards, you get some, you get some you get some different guys who will come come east to run it. It, it doesn't have the same prestige, but it, it's still it's just the open. And I don't know what else to say. It's just like when you say the Nationals, people know Knoxville. You say Kings Royal or Eldora, and you just say the the Natty Open or the Open, and people think of 
of Williams Grove Speedway. There's a lot of history and a lot of prestige. You know, at one time the race was 150 laps, which is hard to believe they would actually do in a sprint car. And and now it's the it's the last time that you get the uh, outlaws on the on the East Coast in a premier race with with uh, now 56,000 to win. So that'll make it even uh, even a little better this year. And one thing that's kind of interesting, you know, you and I were talking about off the air that uh, for the locals, they might not have had as much track time leading into the Open this year. No, it, 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 it's been crazy what the weather's been like. Since uh, since the middle of July, they've only been able to get in um, two two complete races. Matter of fact, uh, September 14th, it was, uh, it was a perfect night everywhere except over the Williams Grove Speedway. They threw the uh, green flag, they had a red, and a rogue shower that couldn't have been more than a, a dot on the radar was right over the speedway, and it caused them to cancel the program. So since July, they've only run two races, and what's even more interesting is they've only run one World of Outlaw show. The uh, May series, the May races got rained out. In July, they were supposed to run the Summer Nationals, and that was a Friday and a Saturday program. The Friday program got in Lance one, and then Saturday it rained again, and now we here here we are uh, open weekend and uh, knock on wood. The weather looks like it's going to be good and good and uh, cool, and it should be it should be decent for for racing. And uh, I think the locals, with everything that's been going on, will be itching to hit the racetrack. That's for sure. Yeah, it's been a tough week over there, and and you know Greg's obviously someone that we would have counted as one of the favorites coming into the Grove Open. Obviously, Lance is one of the ones that Lance Deweese and uh, and Freddie Raymer, perhaps. But who else should we be looking at, maybe? Maybe someone that isn't necessarily someone's getting talked about a lot on the local side. You know, a, a driver that could really surprise a, a, uh, some people could be uh, Jimmy Siegel. Siegel's driving Aaron, Aaron Long's number 58 at the Grove, and that car beat the Outlaws last year with uh, Brock Deerfuss behind the wheel. Uh, in one of the preliminary nights for the Summer Nationals, so and he he snuck a he snuck a win when he took over that ride from Aeronaut uh, earlier this year. So he he could be a surprise. You know, you can never count on Monty. And then one of the big unknowns is what what will Danny Dietrich be doing? Because from what I understand, Dan Dietrich has uh, lethal Lee Stauffer now uh, spinning the wrenches on the 48, or at least helping him. And uh, that that should, it should be interesting to see what Lee could lend to that program. And Dietrich's always fast. Yeah, because Dietrich struggled at times a bit this year. Maybe someone like that coming in is exactly what he needs to kind of get that program back on a consistent basis. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I mean, I think every every driver is only as good as their as good as their crew chief. And uh, Danny's tried a bunch of different combinations this year, and uh, Lee, Lee could be the one. And, and listen, Lee's got the experience. He was on the he was on the World of Outlaw circuit up until I think until Summer Nationals. That's when he left the uh, the uh, Larson team and stayed back home in Pennsylvania. So he's he's been on the road. He's got all. He's won the race a couple times with uh, I believe I think he's won it with Greg and Fred uh, Fred Raymer, and uh, he's got the experience to win the National Open. And of course, on the outlaw side, you know, normally we'd be talking about shots coming in here a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, you know, Brad Sweet had made allusion, uh, made comments about how they were going to be able to try some different things to try to get going a bit better at the Grove, and they've been really fast lately. Shots has been fast, but not maybe as fast lately, or everyone else has caught up to him. So I have a really kind of fuzzy take about the outlaws coming into this weekend. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's it's it, it's funny because usually you can go into you go into National Open weekend and it's it's two to two to three outlaws versus locals or posse versus whatever. This year there's only been one race and that was won by Deweese. So you just don't know how much speed they're gonna how much speed they're gonna carry at the Grove. And you, and 
the fact that nobody nobody's really raced there much this year it, it really is interesting because it's it's a toss-up i would i would venture to think sweet's got i mean sweet's had unbelievable speed since knoxville and um you know it's interesting because uh mike mallet and i actually talked to brad we asked him about the Grove, and he said, you know, nothing nothing against the Grove, but I focus everything I do on the Knoxville Nationals. And, you know, he mentioned that in our in the in the press conference that after winning the Nationals, how everything's about Knoxville. And he says, the reason why I don't run good at the Grove is because that doesn't make me faster for Knoxville. And it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, definitely definitely uh, this weekend because if he, he's carried some speed, Lernerville, he's Lernerville, and, you know, he won some races out on the West Coast, and shots is shots. Logan could be a surprise because he's Schuhart. He's sneaky fast. I think he a couple years ago before he went on the outlaw circuit, he was almost a car to beat until he until he hit the wall. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, Logan can do in Bobby Allen's one A or one S. And of course, you know, one of the things that makes the Grove unique in the posse situation is it's probably the best home field advantage in sprint car racing. You guys though have had a lot of like change over the past 10 to 15 years of car owners and and uh, teams and team structure and size there in Pennsylvania do you think the home field advantage in central Pennsylvania is just as good as it was maybe 10 years ago or is it any different you know it's interesting because 10 years ago you had a lot more car owners you had you had Al Hamilton you had Joe Troon you had um you had the Kleins, um, you had people like that that owned cars, and now you don't have as many car owners. So I think that's taken that's taken away a little bit for that that home home field advantage. And the other the other thing that's hurting them now is you got really good talent that's been leaving to hit the road. Logan, Logan and Jacob, now Brock and and Brent Marks, those could have been the next Fred Ramers and Lance Louises and Greg Hodnett if they would have would have stuck around. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how. Um, what happens in PA? Who who are the new torchbearers as a uh, as it comes? Because there's a lot of people who are uh, definitely excited to go out on the road. You know, it's been kind of a somber week for everybody. You know, because we we were talking off the air about when you lose someone that races all over the world. You know, it, it's kind of tough on everyone. And you got to see Greg Dill race a lot in Central Pennsylvania. Do you have a favorite Greg Hodnett story or favorite memory you could probably look back on? Probably too many to look back on at this point. But do you have one that really stands out? You, you know the thing the thing with greg is greg was greg was he was just always a guy that would smile at you always say hi always always ran just he was just always just a good guy you know as we as we mentioned off the air i don't think there's too many people that have bad things to say about about greg hodman but it's um i just think anytime anytime he got in a race car anytime he got in a race car it was, it was interesting because even if he won he was always off a little bit he was always looking for more. So he'd say, yeah, we were good tonight, but we could have been a little better. And I think that's what probably gave him his edge. He never rested on his laurels. It was always, what can we do to, even if we won by half a straightaway, well, what did we need to do to win by, by a straightaway? And that's what I think made him good. And he was just, he's the type of guy that would be in the pit area to the last, uh, the last fan got an autograph or a picture taken with him. And there aren't a lot of people like that left. He under, he understood the, uh, the fans in the stands were what, what, what really, made sure he made a paycheck every week and also i'd like to mention for people in our position maybe one of the best if not the best guys to work with hands down i would say so he was always very cordial to get interviews for him from and always always thoughtful too you didn't get a junk quote from hodnett 
No, and and usually it it was you ask him a question, and before you know it, you're you're going down the line with a bunch of different things because he just kept going and put you down places you didn't think you were going to go with the things he was saying. So he definitely made it easy. He made it easy to he made it easy to write a story because he gave you gave you honest, precise answers, and then even told you a little more that you weren't even expecting to hear. Yeah, and uh, and we're all going to ask Greg. On a lighter note, though, and uh, something really awesome that you have put together with Mike Mallett and uh, Jeremy Elliott, everyone over there at Dirt Track Digest, SprintCarLimited.com. You guys have your – I need to understand, where is the origin of the Camp Mayhem Award? All right, so so Camp Mayhem was essentially the first year we went out to camp, and we were – it was uh, – we, we parked our camper out there. It was my camper and another guy, and it just was – sitting around having a good time talking and I think those mayhem commercials were coming out for uh, the commercial, the mayhem commercial. And I was just like, you know what, this is camp mayhem. And then a couple years later, we got the idea um, sitting on the couch. I'm like, we got to give something back. And uh, it's like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, one of the, one of the guys was like, how about we, uh, we do something for the first non-qualifier. And that's where the uh, camp mayhem just missed the award. And generally what we do is we just solicit uh solicit money from the, the guys who are camping with us. And I think this year we're up to uh, a total of 10 campers with about, I don't know, 40 or 30, 40 to 50 people. And then a whole bunch of other people that come and everybody just kicks in some money. And we just, uh, we give it to the guy who finishes the uh, fifth in the B. And uh, what's interesting about the award is that you make more money finishing fifth in the B than you would have if you finished in the uh, top 15 in the race. Wow. So obviously, obviously fundraising has gone well this year. If uh, people yeah. are looking uh, ways to contribute to Camp Mayhem, how can they do it? Well, you can reach out to either uh, myself at, uh, at uh, my email address, which is uh, neil, N-E-A-L, dot W-I-L-T, at gmail.com. You can also reach out to Mike Mallet at Mike Mallet at dirttrackdigest.com, and uh, we can let you know what, what you need to do if you want, if you want to contribute. It's uh, it's really nice to give back. It's funny. The first year we did the award, Steve Buckwalter, Steve Buckwalter won, and he got called to the front straightaway, and he wasn't happy. He missed the, uh, he missed the race, and Mallet was out there, and, and you know he's like, God, what am I doing out here? And you know I missed the qualifying race. He's like, Well, Mike's like, well, I got a check for you for a thousand bucks, and he just perked up and smiled. He said, Well, I don't make my car owner happy. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of nice to have a story like that that kind of turns a guy's night up, uh, turns a guy's night around. All righty. Well, Neil, thanks for taking time out to join us. If people want to read your work, where can they find it at? You know, generally I'm in a, I'm, I'm a regular contributor to Area Auto Racing News, which is based out of Trenton, New Jersey, and also at uh, DirtTrackDigest.com. I'm a freelance with, uh, with what Mike does for his uh, site up in New York, generally covering any of the open cockpit sprint car stuff. I'm not a big modified fan like he is. So. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he, he will leave the must mud buses up to him. So, All right. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, Neil, it was great to catch up with you again outside of Iowa. We're going to have to do this a little more often throughout the year. I appreciate that. Thanks, DJ. All right. Thank you. Well, I thank Neil again for coming on the podcast. It was great to catch up with him, and I'm kind of interested to see who's going to win the uh, Camp Mayhem Award. Uh, can I say an award you want to win because you're not in the feature? But, then again, you're getting more money than half the feature finishing positions or something crazy like that, so it's going to be a neat deal uh, to see who wins that. And uh, Next up, we have Brock Zierfoss coming on, and uh, uh, 
thankfully we've had a chance to see a lot more Brock this year. It's been a lot of fun seeing him make his way to the Midwest. You always like seeing the, the Pennsylvania guys come out here and run, but uh, he definitely has lost lofty aspirations to move up to the world of outlaws. And it seems like he's well on his way. I'd call him one of the best young prospects right now going in sprint car racing. We touch on how Brock Zierfoss got the sprint car racing, being a kid growing up in the infield at Williams Grove and a myriad of other topics, including where he wants to see himself in a few years. So without further ado, here is Brock Zierfoss. Brock Zierfoss, very known as the Jonestown Jet. And Brock, I was looking on a map today and Jonestown looks like an awesome place if you want to be a sprint car racer because you're about an hour away from everywhere. Yeah, definitely. I think we have about five places within an hour. I think the farthest is an hour and 15, 20 minutes. So uh, definitely a hotbed of racing for sure. Yeah, and and it, so it wasn't hard to get involved. So uh, going back, how did you first get involved in racing? What was your doorway into the sport? Well, it was about uh, 98, I'd say. Um, my cousin, Brent Marks, he went and him and his dad bought a go-kart and went racing at a uh, track down in Shippensburg at Shippensburg Speedway. And, uh, we, I went along with, with my dad and, and kind of watched a little bit here and there. And the next year they ended up getting a, another go-kart and, and they had one that they were just going to have sitting around. So asked if I wanted to try it out and it was, a you know, obviously 1990 or 1999 then, and, uh, won our first race out and yeah, I've been hooked ever since. And of course, you know, the vibrant sprint car scene, even the micro scene you were involved in. Did you have other family members that had ties to sprint car micro racing or uh, did the family jump in, you know, as kind of like first generation uh, sprint car racers? Yeah, no, I didn't have anybody involved in sprint car racing. Um, You know, my my father, he he helped out on uh, Donnie Wolf's sprint car 360 back in the day. Went to the races there and, and helped out at the race shop and stuff. But, uh, you know, as far as actually having somebody involved in, in the racing, as far as racing-wise, now this was uh, just kind of like our own deal here, you know, like a father-son family kind of deal. And we got started in the go-karts there. And, and uh, about 2005, we moved up to the 600 micros and raced them for a couple years. And then I think it was probably 2012 or 13, we bought a 358 and, after that, we jumped into the 360 and moved up to the 410. So it took took the uh, the long road to get there, but you know, learned all in the process and made me a better driver. Yeah, the the long road. You're still pretty young, kid. So I <laughs> say, so the yeah. I feel the, like I've been doing it forever. Oh so. uh, yeah, I imagine but, a lot of these younger racers do though. So yeah, I mean, it's like I've I've raced. I'm racing now with guys that I've grown up at Williams Grove in the infield there opening day just sitting in the infield in, in my snow gear with my with my wagon and my dad and mom and and my cousin just sitting there watching them guys go around a racetrack and here i am you know how, how many years later when we're, i'm racing with these guys so it's it's like i can only i feel like i've been doing it forever i can only imagine what them guys feel like so you you're obviously you're you're a kid that grew up on the snowbanks on opening day at Williams Grove. So I mean, was there any doubt that the sprint car path was going to be the way you went? Was there any temptation to maybe go late mile racing, maybe go modified racing over there? Yeah, I mean, you know, my, growing up, my dad my dad used to go to Penn National watch the modified. Like every Sunday, it was like a religious thing for him to do. You know, some people go to church and 
you know, his, his church was, was Penn national. So, um, you know, it's, uh, we, we thought he thought about it when we, we got into this deal and we were getting ready to move up, but he thought about maybe getting a modified, but, you know, he's just sitting there and seeing all the amount of work it takes just in a sprint car. And you look at a modified, you, you have 10 times more work to do. And, you know, it's just sprint cars are just one badass machine. So, you know, that, that was the route that we wanted to go. In your career progression so far, which jump was the biggest, do you think, from, from division to division? I would have to say probably go-karts to micros just because they're they're just two completely different things. You know, the, the micro to the sprint car, it's, it's just, it's kind of the same thing. It, it's obviously different, but, um, you know, coming from a go-kart with no suspension, you know, everything is just off the tires to go into a micro where now you have shocks, you have Panhard bar, you have a W link and all, all kinds of different things you have to learn, you know, your wing, just everything. Um, you know, that was probably the biggest transition to figure out, but, um, you know, everything's anything in racing is cool. You, and you can figure it out. You just, it takes time, you know, but yeah, I mean, the difference between the micro and the sprint car is just a, a shit ton more horsepower and, and a bigger car. So, um, you know, that didn't take too much to get used to, but I'd say the go-karts to the micros took the longest. And then of course, going into the 410 sprint car scene, a lot of places you jump into a local racing scene and you'd be able to ease your way into it. I don't think there's any easing into it when you jump into the, uh, the Pennsylvania rinks there competition wise, how, how, what, what was it like going into that, you know, going against that type of competition when you're a 410 rookie? <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, a wounded steer in a, in a pile of hyenas out in the middle of the desert. Um, you know, it's just, it's cutthroat in, in Pennsylvania. I mean, you're racing with the best of the best and you got to have the best of the best. And if you're off just a little bit, you're, you're 10th, 15th, you know, and just kind of getting into it and, and not really having a lot of, a lot of help as far as knowledge, you know, it was a struggle there right in the beginning, but you know, we, we kept working hard at it and, you know, we, we built up our program year by year. We, we figured out, you know, what do we want to do to get better this year? And then we went after it and just kind of took it in steps. And, and, you know, we, we got the right people in line here eventually. And, and, you know, we ended up winning a points championship last year at Port Royal. So we didn't do it the easy way. We did it the hard way, but we did it the right way too, I think. So it's just, uh, it makes you more humble as a person. And, and I'm just very thankful. That leads perfectly to my next question, because it seems like whenever I've seen you go to places like Eldora, Knoxville for the first time, which I was able to see your first times at all those places, it seems like you adapt really quickly. And how much do you think of being against that kind of competition night in and night out at Central Pennsylvania helps that? Oh, yeah, it's huge. I mean you have to be on your A game every night, no matter where you're at in Pennsylvania or anywhere anymore. I mean, the competition anywhere is, is really stout. And, you know, you have to have good equipment. You got to be sharp behind the wheel and you got to be sharp on the wrenches too. So, um, you know, being in Pennsylvania, I, I think definitely helped me out a lot. I mean, I would say, you know, most of it there and, and, and just adapting, you have to go in with a fresh mind and, you know, you kind of show up to a racetrack and look at it and, you know, okay, well, maybe this looks a little bit like, uh, let's say, like Lincoln or something, or, or Knoxville looks a little bit like Sealingsgrove. Just kind of based off of what what you know back home, 
you know, obviously it's going to be different, but it, it can get you in the ballpark. And, you know, that, that was just kind of what we, how we kind of roll into these new places. And, you know, now that I'm, I'm driving with the destiny motorsports team, I'm fortunate to have um, Shane Bowers as the crew chief. And he's been on the road since 99, since I started racing, he was, that's how long he's been on the road. So, you know, he's seen these places, he knows what it takes and, and, and kind of knows his way around the race car. So that, that makes my job a heck of a lot easier. And, um, you know, it just allows me to get more comfortable at the racetrack right away. You mentioned you guys, when you first came out to the 410 division con, your own and learning, who was the person that maybe helped you the most or maybe pulled you aside and gave you the best advice moving into the division? Well, I'll tell you, there's, there's a bunch of people, um, you know, when I first got into the 358 deal, a guy by the name of Phil Walter, he took me under his wing there at Sealance Grove and raced there. He raced there weekly and got to be really good friends with him. And he got, he had his chance in 410s there a long time ago. And, and, uh, you know, he's been, been running 358 there and just kind of showed me the ropes a little bit and got me started there on my feet. And, you know, um, as I stepped into the 410 ranks there, uh, just kind of, was involved with people that were involved with Greg Hodnett and, and Greg, Greg's really taught me a lot. It's, un, it's unfortunate of the passing here. And, you know, I'm very, uh, very thankful that I had the friendship that I did with him and, and hopefully one day we'll get to race again. But, you know, it's just a very sad, very sad moment in the spring car world for what happened to him and, and to think about Sherry and, and how that family and all, all the Hefner racing team too. So, but, you know, Greg, Greg was really a big help, help in my career. Uh, in the 410 ranks and uh definitely taught me a lot and and you know he he was a hell of a racer and he he made you step your game up so you know he would he would give you tidbits here and there and just to kind of get you going and but you know at the end of the day he's he's not going to give it all up so you have to earn it and, and that's what he did well my condolences obviously to the hot family and to you as well and the whole pencil it's like the whole pennsylvania family they're hurting right now so my condolences to all of you uh the uh you know, quite often when you do something, there's like an aha moment. Like there's a moment when things started to click maybe a little bit. Did you have a moment in maybe the 410 division or your move up to the sprint cars where something just clicked and all of a sudden things started making sense? Yeah, I, I would say probably last year or maybe 2016, um, you know, we, we hired Jim Shuttlesworth to be our crew chief. And, you know, he really brought a lot a lot of knowledge along with him and uh definitely helped me progress as a driver um you know he raced uh he raced sportsmen's and and sprint cars back in the day back in the 80s and and 90s there um you know he he knows his way around a race car too and uh you know he told me a lot of things about driving these cars and and you know told me when i was doing something right told me when i was doing something wrong so you know it helped me progress as a driver and it was really good having somebody to work with that knew is what knew what it felt like in the race car so um yeah i mean 2016 we, we got our first win that was the williams grove in the, in the 410 deal and uh, i think we ended up getting a win at port royal the same year so that was a really good year for us it was a big accomplishment for our team and then you know obviously last year 2017 we started off strong and and carried that through the whole year and uh, you know we won the the whole month of august we won that out and every race there and um you know that carried us on to the championship and came down to the last race at, at port royal and won by five points which was one position really so 
actually got passed by Lucas Wolf with two laps to go for third and got him back on the white flag lap. So that, that sealed the deal. And that was pretty special. In this year, you've branched out a lot more. Even before taking on the Dusty Motorsports thing, you've started traveling a bit more. You know, you could stay in Central Pennsylvania and race eighty times a year. Why venture out more? I, to get better. I mean, that that's all you can really say. I mean, if you if you want to be the best, or if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And you know, we're really good in Pennsylvania, but the best the best guys in the business are the World Outlaws. So. If you want to beat the best, you got to be the best. And, you know, they, they don't, they aren't the best because they stay at one place. They travel around, and, you know, the the more track surfaces that you can see or get on and, and types of racetracks, whether they're bull rings, whether they're half miles, three eighths, whatever it is, it's going to make you a better driver. You know, obviously different bankings, um, di- even different dirt. It's, it's all different and, and the cars react so much differently, but you know, you, you got to race with the best and them guys, them guys don't give up any, anything, you know, you got, they'll take a mile, even if they got an inch. So, you know, it just teaches you to race harder and be aggressive, but be clean at the same time. And, uh, you know, every time we go out of town and come back, we race a lot differently and, and it really helps. You just stole my last question there. So it's awesome. He led right down the path. <laughs> so we've got a big race this weekend, the Williams Grove national open, how does different is it for you than say like the Kings Royal or the Knoxville Nationals because of it being in your backyard? I don't know if it's really any different. I mean, a big race is a big race. You have to perform and, and you want to do good, but I mean, there's there's obviously a little a little more pressure um, just because you're you're at home and, and in front of your family, friends, and and sponsors. You know, all my sponsors, obviously, other than Destiny Motorsports sponsors, were, are from this area. Cause you know, I mean, just a family owned operation here in central PA and, you know, we only ran on sponsorship. So, um, fortunate enough to have a lot of great partners involved with our team and a lot of great partners that are coming along over to the destiny motorsports team too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not any different, but it is at the same time, you, you obviously want to perform and, and do good all the time, but you know, and it, it's a lot more special when you can do it in front of your family, friends, and sponsors, and 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 be victorious. You've obviously been spending some time in the Grove infield since you were little. So, when we was what was your first memory of the Williams Grove National Open? Oh man, I don't even remember. I was so young. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, first thing that comes to mind, <laughs> his first conscious memory of going to the National <laughs> Open. It was it was pretty damn cold. I could tell you that back in the day there, it, it wasn't like it is now. You know, mild sixty eight degrees or sixties. It was like thirty five, forty. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was so young back then. I mean, I I just remember being cold and wanting to go to bed really. But um, you know, we'd we'd sit there, me and my cousin, we'd play in the infield there, and make our own little dirt track out of the the frozen ground. It felt like, but uh, yeah, I mean. It, it's just it's been so long since I've been been there in the infield, you know, obviously before then and then we got into racing and then after that I haven't been there since until we started racing sprint cars again. So um yeah, I mean the memory's a little vague and maybe I bumped my head a few times too many, but uh, I just remember it was cold. You mentioned joining up at Destiny Motorsports partway through the year, and, and that's been pretty successful so far. Are there any plans in the works for next year yet? Are you still taking it kind of let's get through this year and see what happens next year? What's the plan here? 
Yeah, the the plan right now is just to, to finish the year out here, and and you know obviously we're going to finish out the uh, All Star schedule, and and uh, once that's up, we're just going to run around with the Outlaws here and and finish their deal out too. So and then uh, you know after that we'll we'll just uh, sit down and evaluate what what the best option is for us and and uh, see what we want to do. I mean obviously the the Outlaws is the you know the the prime traveling series, and that, obviously that's my goal, um, but it's all going to, it's all going to play out in the end and we'll just, uh, we'll sit down here after the season's over and, and talk it out and see what the best option is. Five-year plan for Brock Zierfoss. Where do you want to be in five years? Five years. I want to be, you know, I want to be a world of Outlaw champion, but you know, it's going to take a lot of hard work, effort and luck and, and just be in the right place at the right time and, and have everything just work perfectly, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, Five years, I want to be an established outlaw driver. That that was my goal when I first started racing, and, and uh, you know, I, I actually, obviously, I have the uh, the right opportunity now to progress into that into that goal. You know, it's just one just one step closer here, and you know, it's just taking one step at a time in, in my career. And you know, we we progressed in the sprint car in the sprint car world and, and progressed into the 410 rankings and just kind of came up the up the ranks a little bit and uh, step by step and you know we won our we won our first race and then we won our championship and and now I got an opportunity to possibly drive full time on the World of Alator which is the main goal for me um you know I, I was fortunate enough to drive the Aaron Long 58 car at, at Williams Grove and and we won our first outlaw race together there so I checked that one off the list too next is to win an outlaw championship and you know it's obviously it's going to take a lot of hard work dedication but you know i have great family great sponsors uh, just a great team and everybody that's behind me supports me 115 percent. so that's what you need to do you got to have the things in line to do that and, and i feel like i do like you mentioned kid in the infield playing with cars at williams grove so what would it mean you've got an outlaw win already there but what would it mean to be standing on the front stretch on saturday after the open oh, that'd mean everything uh you know that's one of the most prestigious races in spring car racing um it's it's definitely a special event it would be really special to win it uh in greg's honor he's won it a handful of times and you know just seeing just seeing everything that's involved with that, the atmosphere and everything involved with the, with the, the national open is a very special, um, you know, obviously I, <clears throat> I don't know if they would consider me posse or not anymore now that I'm traveling, but, um, uh, you do know, you, just con- do you consider yourself posse still? <laughs> that don't matter to me. <laughs> um, you know, it, I'm PA at heart, but if I'm a traveling guy, I'm a traveling guy, but, you know, whatever they want to, whatever they want to claim, that's up to them guys. But, you know, just to win it, it doesn't matter if I'm posse or, or traveler or outlaw, whatever it is, just to win that race and put my name in that, in the history books underneath that, that line there. Um, you know, that'd be very special. Last question. If Brock Zierfoss, the sprint car driver now could go to the infield and tell that kid that's freezing one thing to keep an eye on in the future, what would it be? <laughs> stay warmer i guess i don't know <laughs> um yeah i mean i don't know just if, I, if let's just say if i was in the infield now and i seen a kid and and he come up and asked me um you know 
what what do I need to do to to become a successful race car driver? Just say a lot of hard work, dedication. Um, you know, just don't give up on your goals. If you if you have a goal set, go for it. Don't give up and just work hard. Well, Brock, it's been great talking to you this evening. Best of luck coming up with the uh, with the, uh, everyone there at Destiny Motorsports and your family and everyone over at Williams Grove. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll be talking about you winning this thing next week. <laughs> That'd be pretty damn nice. I can tell you that. I'd I'd probably uh, probably have to take a, a three day break and uh, just party. But uh, no, I don't know. That'd be that'd be pretty special. I, I would really enjoy that. Hopefully, we can do that and have a have a little podcast about about winning nationals. But yeah, we'll we'll catch you on the hangover. So that'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, let's give me a couple of days to recover. <laughs> All right, Rock. Well, congrats. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Best of luck, and uh, uh, we'll see you here at Kokomo in a few weeks. Yeah, sounds good. I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun sitting down for a moment to talk to Brock Zierfoss. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the TJSideways.com podcast. Of course, I'd like to thank Brock and Neil because when you're talking about race co- racing out east, you only use first names. So you don't use the last name. So Neil, Brock, thank you for being on. If you enjoyed this, or even if you didn't, Please leave us a review on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and Podbean. Also subscribe through those various mediums, and you'll get the podcast delivered right to your device, computer, mobile device, whatever you're listening on. Also, you can get the podcast via the podcast section on the website. Thank you again for listening to another edition of the TJSlideways.com podcast. Look forward to seeing you down the road at another racetrack. Thank you for listening to the TJ Slideways podcast. 